if you want to turn to John chapter 6, if you look at John chapter 6, it covers the peak of Jesus' popularity. Early in the chapter, they turn around and say, he's a prophet, let's make him a king. And if you're reading uh, verses 14 and 15 of John chapter 6, it's then those men, when they'd seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. It's a peak of popularity. They're recognizing him as being blessed by God, of being God's voice and proclaiming God's word. And not only that, but he was so popular that they were going, let's make him our king. Let's skip to verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. So you go from up here, and about 50 verses later, you're somewhere down here. This is the beginning of uh, the decline in his popularity. So what happened? What occurred in the intervening 50 verses? And that 50 verses only covers a couple of days. In 1966, 88% of Australians professed to be Christian of some sort in the census. By about 2016, so 50 years later, it's getting closer to 52%. So what happened over these 50 verses and a few days? And so we're going to explore that because I think it actually sort of speaks to a few things and, and some lessons we can learn as we go forward. We still identify with Jesus Christ. More and more Australians don't. We do. So why is it we stick at it? So for context, you should also understand that he'd, when we get to verse 14 and 15, he'd just fed the 5,000. And if you go to verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. You're hungry and you just want a meal. That's why you're following me. The thing that motivated them was the here and the now. I'm hungry, I need food, he gives food. Right? They weren't looking for a saviour, they were looking for a meal. We need to keep reflecting on ourselves as we go through. Are we looking for a saviour or looking for a meal? Why do we continue coming day in, day out, week in, week out, to a fellowship to profess our love and our admiration and respect for Jesus Christ? Is it because he's going to give us the next meal or is it because he's our saviour? They got it back to front, which was the meal was a byproduct of the saviour being with them. And it was the saviour that they were meant to be following, not the meal. And it is something that we need to be acutely aware of. If the Lord doesn't deliver this when we say we need it, we walk away. Actually, that's got nothing to do with it. The Lord is always there. He's always our saviour. And he delivers it day in, day out. The rest is a benefit, but we should never substitute the benefit for the real thing. Proverbs 30 verse 8 says, Remove me far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me the food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name in vain. Let's go to verse 27. So this was Jesus' response. Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Jesus Christ being quite straightforward here. 
the meal, the provision, all that stuff isn't what you're here for. It is to believe in me. It is to believe in the one that God sent. And not only is it to believe in me, but it's also eternal salvation. It's eternal life. I feed you now, you will be hungry again. But the key thing is, believe in me to have everlasting life. So that's the first response. First problem, first response. Verse 28. They said unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? The NLT has. They replied, we want to perform God's work too. What should we do? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. What are you meant to be doing here? You're meant to be looking to me. You're meant to be looking for eternal life. They were looking for something they were familiar with. Something that was just a rehash of the old. Jesus Christ wasn't in for the rehash of the old. And sometimes we also have to be very careful that we don't do things because they're the way we've always done them. If the Lord leads you to do something different within you know, the framework that he's put with us, then maybe you've got to change what you're doing. What you have to do, you actually have to think new and you have to believe in Jesus Christ. Verse 29, Jesus said and said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe on him who he has sent. What are you meant to be doing? Believing in me. Verse 30, they said therefore unto him, what sign showest thou then that we might may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And this is probably a bit galling, uh, I suspect, for those around Jesus Christ, because he'd just fed the 5,000. Earlier in the chapter, he'd also just walked on water. And on top of that, the reason they were following him as well was because he had healed the sick. And then they have the cheek to go, well, what miracle are you going to do? Have you not been here for the last few days? So let's look at verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. And they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. It's me. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Have you got it yet? Believe on me. Believe in him who God sent. If you missed it, it's me. You know, reading this, I found it fascinating they, they chose manna from heaven as the thing that they were kind of talking about. Because if you think about it, it was like the miracles the previous day had never occurred. And just like manna, on six days of the week, it evaporated the next day. You know, the, the miracle that sustained them the day before was gone the next day. And a new set came. I found it fascinating that they chose manna as their example. Because it seemed like they needed constant reaffirmation that he was the son of God. And he kind of rebukes them a bit when he sort of says, I am the bread of life. He that believes on me shall never thirst and never hunger. Take of me once and you will remember. He later goes on and says in verse uh, 36, but I said unto you that ye also have seen and believe not. I'm literally standing in front of you, yet you still don't believe in me. We do thrive off the testimonies that got us this far. The miracles, 
the overcoming. We thrive off that. The things that happened yesterday are incredibly relevant to today. The miracles that Jesus did when he was filled with his Holy Spirit is still relevant today. That experience, that knowledge, that understanding that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I have his Spirit dwelling within me is still relevant. How could it not be relevant? It's still in you. It would almost seem that what they needed, again, was like the manna from heaven, this ongoing stream of miracles. And he makes the point in uh, verse 49, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This constant stream of daily provision didn't stop them from dying. I, on the other hand, you will die physically, but you will live forever. The constant stream of miracles is not what you need. What you need is to believe in me. And then he almost kind of doubles down on the whole thing. If you go to verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Verse 60, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying, who can hear it? They really, really struggled with the concept of Jesus Christ being the Son of God, being the bread of heaven. In actual fact, the Jews have to sort of say, who is this guy? We know his mum and his dad. How can he say he came down from heaven? We know his mum and dad. It's Joseph and Mary. And we, you know, here's his brothers and sisters. And he didn't come down from heaven. They really, really struggled. Even after all the miracles, it's just Jesus. We know his mum and dad. There was no taking it to the next step. No thinking, no, maybe this is the Son of God. It was a genuine block in their thinking. And then verse 67. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? You know, there were thousands following me earlier. Are you going to go too? Peter jumps in, as he always does. Answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ. We know all the stuff for us that happened yesterday is still relevant. We believe that you are the son of the living God. I think there's a really important note here too, which is Peter in this response doesn't actually sort of say, we completely get you. We understand the whole flesh eating sacrifice thing. We, we've got that makes perfect sense. There was none of that in his answer. I dare say the same doubts that were plaguing those were probably in their mind, but there was a difference with the twelve. And the twelve was: we believe that you are Jesus Christ. You have the words of eternal life. We don't necessarily understand everything you say all the time, but who else has these words? Who else would we turn to? He nailed the point. The point is not about getting fed. The point is not about a stream of miracles that prop your faith up or your belief or rid of, you know, get rid of your doubt every single day. It is believing in Jesus Christ and doing what he says, partaking of him. And the disciples seem to get it in the end. But it comes down to one thing. Believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he can give us everlasting life. And we will do what we need to do to get there. We will believe everything he says. We will act on everything he says. 
there's persistence to overcome the doubt. I think the other thing that when you look at Peter's response, Peter's response was really just repeating back to Jesus Christ the bits that Peter understood at the time. So the belief was there. And in verse 47, believe in, I say unto you that he that believeth on me has everlasting life. Verse 54, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood has eternal life. He was just reflecting back to Jesus Christ the bits he understood at the time. I mean, could you really understood, understand the idea of eating flesh and drinking blood of Jesus Christ? It, it, it just would have been completely messed up in your head if you were thinking about it naturally. And clearly, large chunks of the group that was surrounding them were thinking naturally. It's about eternal life, and it's about believing in Jesus Christ. Everything else is a bonus. It's a benefit. It's not the thing you come for. We're about to take communion. What are we about to do? Symbolically, we're about to eat the flesh and drink the blood. But it also says, you know, we're meant to judge ourselves when we're doing so. And one of the judging things that I occasionally do is going, okay, have I done right, wrong, you know, trying to figure a few things out, what can I improve, all those sorts of things. Have I got distracted by all the benefits? Have I, have I centred myself on my belief in Jesus Christ, being the Son of God and eternal life? Because that's what's going to get me through, is the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is all-powerful, that he has my interests at heart, that he sacrificed himself that I might be in this position. That is the key. What I find also fascinating is in Acts 2, verse 37... When they heard this, they were pricked in the heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the disciples, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So the question that was asked by this crowd around Capernaum, which is, you know, what do we do so we can work the works of God, is now presented to Peter. The same question. What do we do? And Peter comes back, straightforward response. Repent and be baptized, everyone with you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Who was the centre of that statement? Jesus Christ. Peter had learnt it. He knew it by this stage. He was possibly also starting to get an idea of what it meant to partake of the body and the blood. So Jesus Christ's popularity declined when he asked one simple thing. Believe on me. How does that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lead to a decline in popularity. It's because he's not pandering to our needs here and now, you know, our wants and all those sorts of things. He's dealing with our eternal soul and looking forward to eternal life. Ongoing miracles on demand to demonstrate God's power, provision of earthly needs and the ability to lead a godly life are all benefits of believing in Jesus Christ. And that's what John 6 was all about. Believe on me, all these things will happen. If you focus solely on those things, you're going to miss out. You will go away because you'll come disappointed. It won't be exactly how you want it. Is your focus on Jesus Christ? We're about to have this communion. It is all about Jesus Christ. Is our mind wandering? Are we thinking, oh, you know, by our stripes we will heal. Actually, I've got this healing need that I really need taken care of. That's not a bad thing, think, thought to have, but it's all about thank you for the sacrifice first. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for giving us salvation. Thank you for eternal life. And by the way, thanks for that as well. This world is full of material pleasures. There are lots of things that can distract us. 
But Jesus Christ actually wants a fresh start. You do it the new way. You believe in him. And your faith goes on despite how you perceive your personal circumstances. You don't have the healing yet. Does that rob you of your belief in Jesus Christ? Does that rob you? Will you also go away because of that? Peter's response is no. Should be our response too. Amen.